In the beginning was the Word, and that Word brought chaos to order, gave the seas and skies their border. One day the Word who made man became man. The Word from the beginning spoke, and the world started over. Since that time, all creation, every nation, has been racing and chasing, just trying to measure up, catch up to what Jesus said. All right, well, welcome to Seacoast. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I want to welcome you if you're joining us online or in one of the venues at an offsite campus, wherever you might be. We are excited that you are here to worship with us this weekend. I want to give a special shout out to our Conway campus. They're joining us live on the broadcast for the very first time for the next two weeks. That's right. <clears throat> For the next two weeks, uh, they're having preview services, and then they officially launch this Easter. So we kind of just did it, but what I want to invite us and all of the campuses to do is join them and giving them a rowdy round of applause. Really let them hear you. Look at the camera. It's going to sweep around. Woo! Excited about all God has done and is going to do in Conway. You know, our mission here at Seacoast is to help people find God grow in their faith, discover their purpose, and make a difference. And this weekend, as you came in, you might have noticed there's uh, members of our dream team wearing t-shirts that say make a difference. There were cards on your seat. There are kiosks set up in the breezeway of every campus. We've done everything we could do to make it as easy as possible and as likely as possible for you to take a next step to partner with us in making a difference in our church community and world. So we're gonna talk some more about what that might look like today, but I hope throughout the service, man, you're leaning in, praying, okay, God, what kind of step would you be calling me to take today? So let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. God, we thank you so much for this weekend. I praise you, God, for uh, the Conway campus and just the incredible work that you've done there already. And I just pray into this new season as we welcome them into our Seacoast family that this would be a season marked by immeasurably more than they could ask or imagine. God, that you would do incredible things uh, in and through them as a campus. I pray for our time together today. God, may your word not return void. I ask that our hearts and minds would be open to uh, all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I got a question for you as we get started. Have you ever had anything stolen from you? Maybe go back to a time where you experienced that. Just a couple months ago, I was leaving my house and went to get in my car, and when I opened the door and got in, realized that the car smelled like smoke. And Katie just stopped smoking, so I knew it wasn't her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> we're working on it, she's close, okay, so. No, uh, I knew it wasn't us, and I'm thinking like, man, that's not like engine smoke. It wasn't like somebody had been burning. Like, it was cigarette smoke. I'm thinking, that is just weird. What is that? Well, I sit my coffee in the little cup holder, and I'm looking around realizing, man, there's papers, change, like things are disheveled, and all of a sudden it hits me. Somebody broke in my car. My little bleep bleep thing is broken. So every single night, I don't know what you call that thing, but you get what I'm talking about. So every night right before I go to bed, I'll walk outside, lock it with the key, and probably two or three nights a year, I'll forget to go outside and lock the car, and this was one of them. So I'm sitting there in the car thinking, I cannot believe, one, that somebody broke in my car, but then they had to like, mm, to sit it and have a cigarette while they stole my stuff. <laughs> It's like, I just can't, I get up enough throughout the night that I had envisioned myself, and when I do, I always peek out the window, right, because I've been waiting on this moment. My, my driver's license and my social security number both start with 007, so I kind of think there's this, like, 
I've got this thing that God's gonna position me to fight crime and do something awesome, okay? So, but I never see anything. I kept thinking, like, what would have happened that night? Can you imagine the news article? Like, pastor runs after intruder in his underwear. It's like, what, what's the, I don't know what I would have done, but in that moment, I'm telling you, anger, frustration, anxiety, fear, surprise, like all of these emotions came over me. What was stolen, what all was in my car, I couldn't even remember. How many of you would agree that we live in a world where feelings of surprise and shock and anger due to the injustice that surrounds us is way too common? Just about every day, definitely every week, we encounter a situation of some kind where we feel those kinds of emotions. Well, today we're gonna be looking at a passage that shows us, man, those feelings, those situations and circumstances aren't just in our day, they were just as true in biblical times. And Jesus gives us a bit of a picture, an example of what it looks like for us to make a difference in a world that's surrounded with injustice. You'll join me, it's there on your outline. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's found in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. It says this, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. So a couple observations for us as we get started in reading through that parable, the first of which is there on your outline. The world is broken because of sin. The world is broken because of sin. Now, historically, the path that this guy was walking was a dangerous one. Jerusalem was 2,500 feet above sea level. Jericho was 800 feet below sea level, so a 3,000-plus elevation change that was spread out over about 18 miles. In Arabic, this path was known as the ascent of blood for two reasons, the first of which is that it was covered in red rocks, kind of surrounded the terrain, but secondly, because it was a dangerous path, it was often covered in the blood of its travelers. Now the good news for us is that this path is 6,282 miles from us today. So we don't ever have to worry about the dangers of this region, but I can't help but wonder how far do we have to travel to experience the brokenness of sin in our own lives. You know, as I think about the last month, we've read or watched or heard about a school shooting in Florida where 17 people were killed and 17 were injured. Family from our Johns Island campus experienced a brutal assault and the kidnapping of their four-year-old daughter. 
We heard about a father and a son who were attacked and shot. The son died on the scene. We just had his memorial service here in this building yesterday. Just a couple miles from this campus last week, there was a quadruple homicide here in Mount Pleasant. Pastor Sam Lesky, who's the football coach of the North Charleston High School football team, has had three students shot and killed in the last year. You know, it used to be that we would have to watch the news or read the papers to hear about injustice that was happening on other parts of the world or in other parts of the country, but man, today it is closer and closer to our home. The consequences of sin ripple into each of our lives. Romans 8.22 there in your outline says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. From the, the moment that sin was introduced right up to the present day, man, the brokenness of sin, the consequences of sin are prevalent in each of our lives. So the first observation is the world is broken because of sin. Secondly, there on your outline, we are all created to make a difference. We're all created to make a difference. You know, parables were used to convey a message that was central to the teaching of Jesus. And this parable in particular is meant to give us a visual of the great commandment. The great commandment is a, is a paraphrase of the first and second commandment. When Jesus was asked, of all the commandments, which one is the greatest? He replied in Mark 12 there on your outline, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, for those of you who might have been following along on your outline, there's a really unfortunate spelling mistake there as everybody's head goes down. Ooh, what was it? <laughs> it says, love the Lord your God with all of your heat. I don't know exactly what that means, but we're just gonna go with love him with all you've got, okay? <laughs> love him with all you've got. Now, I want you to think about this. All three of these men were on a journey, okay? The priest, the Levite, the Good Samaritan, they all came upon a man who had been stripped, beaten, and left to die. And the, the evidence of their love for God, the proof that they walked with him, that they knew him, that they had a relationship with him was, was seen in their response to the man who was in need, not in their Bible knowledge. What Jesus valued here was what they did when they came upon a man who was in need. If the world is broken because of sin and the consequences of sin ripple into each of our lives, then I can't help but think that today God is presenting us with the same truth that he did the expert in the law that day, to love God is to love people. To walk with God is to take part in the mission of God, that we would clothe the naked and feed the hungry, provide shelter to the homeless, that we would look after the orphan and the widow, that for every problem or pain or consequence of sin that you would see in some way you have been assigned to. To pray, to give, to go in our church community or in our world, God has positioned each of us to make a difference. That said, number three there on your outline, difference-making is not automatic. Difference-making is not automatic. Two out of the three guys in this story got it wrong. You know, and if we were to place a bet of all the people in this story, who are the people that would have gotten it right, I would have gone with the priest and the Levite. They, they knew the word of God, they knew the heart of God, they were men who had been set apart for the ministry of God, yet when they walk up on this guy, 
They pass by on the other side of the road. So if the men who we would assume to have done the right thing didn't, what does it look like for us to walk a different path? What does it look like for us to get it right? You know, because the truth is, I can't do everything. We can't do everything. When you leave your house in the morning, if you were to give yourself to trying to meet every problem or pain that you encountered, you wouldn't have time to do anything else throughout the day. But I don't want the realization that we can't do everything to keep us from doing anything. So what does it look like for us to make a difference? A couple thoughts for us there on the back of your outline. The first of which is if I'm going to make a difference, I've got to number one, remember my condition. Remember my condition. As you think through that story, who do you most identify with? Jesus kind of sets it up as there are some good guys and bad guys, some people that he's pleased with and some that he's not pleased with, but when you read through the story, is there anybody that you relate to? You know, the first is the priest and the Levite. They walk up on this guy who's been stripped, beaten, and left for dead, and scripture tells us they, they pass over on the other side of the road. If you were to think about folks that you see in need, maybe they're homeless or hungry or begging, when you walk upon them, what characterizes your response? Is it normal for you to walk past them? It's not to say that you don't see them. It's not to say that you don't feel something. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. Maybe when you see them, you just question, well, what am I supposed to do? Would doing anything here really help? I don't want to enable them in this issue or whatever it is. Or maybe you see them and think like, I, I wouldn't even know how to respond so that you, you cross by on the other side of the road. Is that a normal response for you? Then there's the good Samaritan. And when he walks up on this guy, who is in need, the Bible tells us that he took pity on him. It literally means that he was filled with compassion. This is the same word used throughout the Gospels when Jesus would see crowds and have compassion on them and heal their sick or have compassion on them and, and feed them. He was moved to a degree that, that he, had to, he had to do something about it. And then there was the traveler. This is a guy that was on a journey from one place to another. He fell into the hands of robbers. He was stripped, beaten, and taken advantage of. You know, as you think through those three, chances are you, you identify to some degree with both the priest, the Levite, and the Good Samaritan. There's been times where you have um, helped those in need. There's been times that you, uh, you didn't, that you, you passed on by. But I would argue that the most important, if we're gonna be a people who make a difference, the person that's most important for us to identify with is the traveler. You know, the reality of my story, of our story, is that we have an enemy. And he doesn't just exist to make good days bad or make bad days worse. He stands in opposition to the will and word of God in our lives. John 10, 10 there on your outline says, the thief comes only, say only, only to steal, to kill, and destroy. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Man, his plans are to kill you, to devour you, to steal, to kill, to destroy all the good in your life. Man, when I think back on my life, my story is that of the man on the side of the road. I was deceived, lured into the darkness. I have scars that tell stories of shame because of the places that I've been, the things that I've done, the, the person that I've been. But at just the right time, when I was far from God, when my sin had separated me from him, God so loved me 
that he sent his son to rescue me. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 there on your outline says it this way, for he rescued me from the dominion of darkness and brought me into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When I was powerless to do anything about it, when I was powerless to close the gap, he saw me, loved me, and sent his son. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Have you ever been rescued from anything physically? I remember a couple years ago, a father and son and another father and son all went out offshore fishing. And they got a couple miles off the coast of Charleston when the boat lost power. It eventually capsized and they were there treading water for 20 hours, kicking at sharks. Guess where I met them that next day? Right here in the breezeway at Seacoast. <laughs> it's like, God saved us, man. We are going to church, right? <laughs> we don't go to church, Daddy. Yes, we do. <laughs> no, you know? There's, there's a season where the sensation of rescue is real, right? Where you can almost feel and remember the desperation, the hopelessness, the terror that you experienced and then feel the relief of rescue. But man, there's something about time that causes us to forget the feeling of desperation. And as I think back on my own life, man, there's been seasons where that rescue felt foreign where I'm tempted to forget the incredible work that God has done in my life. And man, by his grace, he's met me in new seasons of, of darkness to remind me that yes, I rescued you in the past, I'm rescuing you today, and I will rescue you in the future. So my question for you is, what kind of rescue has God done in your life? What has he rescued you from, and does that story feel foreign? You know, it's easy for me today to sit down with a couple whose marriage may be busted when they feel like all hope is lost and for me to be a hope peddler, for me to be a part of God's rescue mission in their life because I remember the work that God did in our marriage. It's easy for me to sit down with someone who's in a tight spot financially, questioning how are we gonna make ends meet because I've seen God provide in my life. It's easy for me to be a part of his rescue mission. What has God rescued you from? Are you willing to use that story? Man, it'll cause hope to rise up in others and it will remind you of your condition, of where you were and just how far God has brought you. So if I'm gonna make a difference, I've got a number one, remember my condition. Number two there on your outline is I have to walk towards the pain. I have to walk towards the pain. You know, the, the good Samaritan in this story, he moved towards the man who had been stripped, beaten, and left for dead. Have you ever seen anyone in that condition? You know, chances are few, if any of us have, but if you were to walk around downtown Charleston or walk around downtown of whatever city you might be listening from, chances are you've seen someone homeless or hungry or, or begging for food. What is your typical response in that situation? You know, even that, seems a little extreme. Weeks could go by without seeing anyone in that condition, but I can't help but wonder how many of you may have seen a marriage that's unraveling. Maybe you've heard the husband and wife, you know one of them, you've talked about it, they're not sleeping in the same room, they're arguing a lot, maybe you've caught them cutting eyes at each other, you've overheard an argument, the kids are struggling with it, you've heard about it somehow, 
and you haven't said anything because you think, well, we're not the best of friends. Uh, my marriage isn't perfect either. I wouldn't want them to think I'm, I'm judging them. So let's just pray for them, and I hope it turns out okay. Or maybe you've seen a student who's walking a, a dangerous, dangerous path. He's not running with the, with the right crowd. You've seen some of his social media posts, and uh, man, you're just concerned. For whatever reason, mom and dad may not seem to be engaged or realize kind of the full extent of everything that's happening. They work a lot, they travel a lot because of work, and instead of going to talk with them about it, you think, well, my kids aren't perfect. You know, I, I did that when I was young, and I turned out okay. You have a sense of where things are going, but instead of saying anything, you keep quiet and kind of watch from a distance. And there's a lot of things that keep us from saying something. We, we stay quiet in the name of respecting others' privacy, uh, keeping good boundaries. We don't have it all together, so we don't say anything. But moving towards the pain was the response that Jesus honors in this story, primarily because it represents the heart of God. Look at these passages there on your outline. Psalm 147, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Jeremiah 30, 17, but I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord. How, how, how close, in terms of proximity, do you think you have to be to, to heal and to restore? Man, you gotta be intimately close, right? Story tells us that he poured oil and wine on the man's wounds. He had to be close enough to inflict pain so that he could be a part of helping bring about healing. He bandaged his wounds with his own clothes. We don't know if he had extra shirts he ripped up, what he did to try to bandage this guy. Then it tells us that he put him on his own donkey. You know, I can't imagine that the Good Samaritan showing up on the scene was enough to encourage this guy to stand up and shake things off, right? It reads like he picked him up and put him on his donkey. Have you ever tried to pick up a grown man? It's like, man, that's just awkward, right? Especially if they're naked, beat up, and bloody, right? You about to be covered in all their sweat and stuff. It's like, oh, man, I had on my good shirt. And it's like, oh, well, you know, it's about to get dirty. I remember a couple years ago, a friend of mine named Courtney Gent was painting a house, and he was up on the roof of the second house painting the, or roof on the second floor painting the third floor of the house, and it was a tin roof. And while he's, he's working, his ladder slips and falls, and he starts sliding down this tin roof, grabbing at things to try to keep him while the ladder goes over, his legs get tangled in it, and it throws him off the second story roof of the house, and he lands face first on the concrete. Big, strong guy. He kind of braced himself and caught the fall some, but because of that, dozens of bones and both, both of his, his hands were broken and his face were broken. Pastor Josh and I went to see him in the ICU, and at that point, doctors were talking about amputating his hands because of the severity of the breaks. And I remember seeing one of the strongest guys that I knew in some kind of full body apparatus. They had given him so much morphine because he was in such intense pain that he was having these, these crazy like itching sensations all over his body. So I'm standing there beside him, he's fighting back tears and he's like, itch my armpit, itch my armpit. Now, have you ever itched another grown man's <laughs> armpit? I mean, seriously. <laughs> it's like, okay, okay. And so I find myself going in and I'm like, that's my, that's my tickle motion. <laughs> like, 
Like, how do, I don't know how to, <laughs> like how, do you, how do you do this, right? And I think back on that story now, I didn't realize it in the moment, but here I am standing by a guy in the most pain of his life, and what I was thinking about was me. How I'm feeling. Oh, this is awkward. It's kind of gross too. Am I doing it right? You know, thinking about me. Well, that feeling, more times than not, if we're gonna take a step towards the pain, the gap that we're gonna have to bridge, the wall that we're gonna have to get over, is something inside of us that says, oh, this feels awkward. I don't know what to do here. I don't know if I'm doing this right. If we're gonna move towards the pain, you can be certain you're gonna be yelled at, people are gonna be frustrated with you, you're gonna have feelings of insecurity, of awkwardness, you're gonna be afraid, you're gonna have to push through fear. But you can be certain every step you take towards the pain is one taken in faith. Galatians 5 and 6 there on your outline says it this way. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So what, what pain might God be calling you to walk towards today? What areas of brokenness Maybe has he allowed you to see that maybe others haven't seen? And beyond just praying about it, God's calling you to take a step to maybe say something about it. Hey, I, I saw this. I just want you to know that I'm here for you. What steps of faith might he be calling you to take? You can be certain that each of them will be taken in faith. And when you move in that direction, man, you'll have a front row seat of seeing God do the miraculous in someone's life. So I can be a difference maker when I, number one, remember my condition. Number two, walk towards the pain and number three there on your outline, anticipate interruptions. Anticipate interruptions. You know, I can't help but, but wonder that day when the good Samaritan left his house if he knew what he was gonna be walking into. It was an 18 to 20 mile journey that was dangerous. I can't imagine that he took excess baggage. I would think he took the things that he need. He had the oil, the wine, the money, the clothes. He knew about how long he was gonna be gone, when he would arrive. And as far as we know, up until he came to the man who had been stripped and beaten and left for dead, everything was going according to plan. When was the last time you had a, a similar situation? Where you were going somewhere and, and came up on somebody or something that you hadn't, hadn't anticipated? You know, it's where context in, there, in this story tells us a lot. He was walking this journey. The average person walks about three and a half miles an hour, right? If I were to walk around this room, I could stop and talk to Brad and Kimberly Mann. I could make note of some of your hairstyles or lack thereof, right? It's like we could high five, talk. I could observe and interact with you. Hey, Brian, how you doing? You know, we could talk. If I were to walk up the road, I could interact with creation. Uh, when I drive past our, our new facility every day, I'm excited to see progress they've, they've made. But man, walking, I could look at it for a long time, right? I imagine this good Samaritan, as he came up on this man that had been stripped and beaten and left for dead, he had a solid three, four, five minutes to watch as he got closer and closer and closer. Because he was moving so slowly, the likelihood of him stopping was great. But man, in our world, we move much faster. The last time I was in this kind of situation, it was driving up Highway 17 just over a week ago. 
Uh, we were approaching the town center, a four-lane road. I was in the far, far lane, and there was a guy on the other side of the median whose car had broke down, and he was pushing it through the intersection. And I had about three seconds to see him, realize he was pushing the car. Things seemed to be under control. We were on the way to a movie, and, and I had on nice clothes. I thought, like, man, if I pull over to help him, like, if any of you have ever pushed a car, man, there comes a point where exhaustion kicks in, and you go from using your hands to your side to your back. You're like, God, get this, you know. So I was like, well, we're running late to the movie, so, so I didn't stop. I just kept, kept going. What does that, that say about me? You know, chances are you've had a situation similar, but what I realized about me that day is that I elevated experience and entertainment above people. Uh, it was gonna cost us a lot of money to get in the movie. I wanted to make sure we got good seats. It took a work of God to get all of us out of the house on time anyway, you know, so rushed on to the movie. Now, hopefully five years from now, our kids aren't gonna remember the movie A Wrinkle in Time because it really wasn't that good a movie. <laughs> You know? But I can't help but wonder, what would they remember four or five years from now if I would have interrupted the hustle to pull over and help that guy? What kind of questions would they have asked about their dad? What kind of questions would they have asked about their God had I pulled over to stop and help him? Dad, Dad, what are you doing? Oh, we're going to the movie, why are you turning around? Well, buddy, that guy's car broke down and there's hundreds of people around him but nobody's helping him helping him. God allowed dad to see him and God positioned dad to help him. We've got to turn around and help him. There's no, nobody else is doing it. Well, who is that guy, dad? How do you know him? I don't, buddy. I, I haven't gotten to him yet. I don't know who he is. You're going to help a stranger? You know, it's like over and over and over. They would have had a hundred questions. Why is that? Because there's something about sacrificial service, helping those who are in need that touches the heart of God. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 there on your outline says, follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You know, I can't imagine that the good Samaritan uh, decided in the moment that he was gonna stop and help that guy. I think he had decided long before he left the house that day that he was gonna be the kind of man that was willing to be interrupted to be the kind of person that was willing to sacrifice when he saw someone in need. You know, for some of you today, you've been through some stuff. And chances are, you're never gonna experience the healing that you're after or find the purpose in your pain until you're willing to allow God to use whatever it is that you've been through to be a source of healing and life for others that you would remember your condition, that you would walk towards the pain to share your story of what he's done in your life so that it would bring about life for someone else, that you would be willing to be interrupted for those that may be alone and busted and broken but in need. I can be a person, we can be a people that makes a difference if we're willing to remember our condition, to move towards the pain, to anticipate interruptions. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this parable, and I praise you, God, for your incredible love for each of us, your grace for each of us, that time and time again, God, when we respond more like the priest and the Levite, when we don't live out your heart to see the broken, the hurting, those that are in need, times where we don't take steps of faith to partner with you in the mission 
to, to love and care people as Jesus did, God, that you are so gracious and patient with us. So I pray for each of us today. One, I pray for those that need to respond to your incredible love, maybe to experience that rescue for the very first time. God, that they would take a bold step of faith towards you and for the rest of us. God, that we would remember just how far you've brought us and that we would take a step to make a difference, to partner with you in the loving and serving and rescuing of others. We give you this time in Jesus' name, amen.